When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and welcome to season three of the Delicious Yellow podcast with me, Matthew Mills, and my wife and business partner, Ella Mills. Hi, everyone. We're really, really, really happy to be back. Thank you for having us. And we start each season with a really personal episode. This season, we wanted to go a little bit deeper into that. We so have valued and appreciated every single piece of feedback that you've given us over the last two seasons. And one of the points that just kept coming up was how much what Matt said about his learnings from the loss of his mum have resonated and how much you've taken from it. We're going to be approaching this in a very unprescriptive way. We want it to be a very human, real conversation, not something based on stats and studies, because loss and grief are two of the most human emotions and two of the only things that unite every single one of us on this planet. Yet they're a topic that we often shy away from. So we're going to be getting deep into this today. Indeed we are. And we have a very special guest who is my lovely sister, who is not just my lovely sister, but she's also one of the most emotionally intelligent and eloquent people I know. (laughs) I think really to start is one of the things that I experienced most when when mum was really ill and then when mum passed away was that death for a lot of people feels something that's that's an awkward thing or something that people don't really like to talk about. And going through the experience myself with mum was one of the things that struck me was just what an incredibly human experience it is. And you feel emotions that really strip you back to what feels like your absolute rawest form. And And I know from lots of our listeners, when we were asking about questions for some of these episodes, that people shared their different experiences of what they're going through with loss, whether that's a difficult divorce, a difficult breakup, a miscarriage, or the loss of a loved one, a family member. So again, we want to come at this from something which we hope will give inspiration and some sense of shared collective feeling for every single person, no matter what it is that you're dealing with in your life that involves that semblance of grief. So I think we should just start with maybe just giving... Mine and Jess is just personal accounts. So Jess, do you want to start with your experience? Yeah, so for me, I I realise now, retrospectively, that my grieving process for mum started as soon as she was diagnosed. It's a very common thing, actually, that I've, I've read a lot about since, where you enter into a state of what's called ambiguous loss. So you're going through all the stages of bereavement and grief, but while the person is still there. And that in itself is such a complex, painful, disorientating space to find yourself. And when I look back at this time, I see both cycles and huge spikes 
in the kind of anguish of, of grief, but I also see huge moments of resilience as well. And I suppose there's something fortifying in that. And I think when you first go through an experience like this, you are cast off into a landscape that feels utterly disorientating and there's no levers to hold on to. The very common thing is that you go through this and people can retreat into quite solitary, isolated space. And it is the one experience which connects you to most people you know, actually, and it isn't the thing that should make you feeling, leave you feeling the most isolated, the most alone at that time in your life. There should be a sense of kind of profound connection at that point. But unfortunately, and I think it's a lot to do with the way that we experience or don't choose to talk about death in our culture that when people go through these things they retreat into their own lives and and their process is something that is experienced in a very solitary very isolated way and you know what I've realized through starting to talk about these things is that actually there's profound connection and there's a profound kind of collective experience that can create a real sense of comfort at possibly one of the most painful times of your life and I really hope that for people listening to this there's that sense of you know through our words that they are being understood and and that we we hear them as Jess alluded to our experience with losing our mum was we had a year period in between where mum was uh, diagnosed with her illness I made a kind of subconscious decision not to google throughout the whole experience to try and understand what was happening i tried to be led by what the professionals we were talking to and what the experts and i think that that is one thing that really really helped is because when you launch into a deep search of something you really know nothing about or an illness or when you just hit google you start to get and see some pretty scary things that probably would knock you more than is needed in a moment where you're already hugely, hugely off balance. And so mum had a successful operation where the tumour was taken out, but with the type of cancer she had, which is very aggressive, even though you move remove the tumour, there's still lots of cancer cells that are left over. And in September of 2017, mum had another scan and it was the, the tumour had regrown and that to me was really the point that I knew that this wasn't going to be something that we were going to be able to be. And my first ever girlfriend, um, first ever love of my life was was killed in an accident when I was 16. And it was a completely different experience because it was just a completely freak accident where suddenly one Sunday night when I thought everything was okay and she would be coming back uh, a few days later I got a call from her parents to say that she had been killed in an accident and that was an utterly different type of experience with mum but what was relatable was that experience where there was a definiteness in it when I found out about that from from hearing that she had passed away to when the tumour had come back in, in September after that scan, it immediately, to me, that felt like the moment when, even though mum, you know, she, she hadn't passed by that point, I couldn't see a way a way out of it then. And it's just crazy the, the physical manifestations you have of these things. And I talked about this last series, but I was literally walking down the street one day to go and get lunch and suddenly I couldn't stand up and the world was spinning. I was rushed to hospital and I had this this physical experience, I guess, of, of just being completely out of control because of the stress and the grief I was feeling. And after that, Ella and I went away for a few days and really tried to, to regroup. And we had a, one particularly really meaningful conversation where I completely acknowledged 
and started to begin to accept what was happening. And I really tried to shift, however difficult this was, that I was going to completely be a human being and I was going to grieve deeply. I wasn't going to shy away from it. I was going to talk to anyone who wanted to talk to me about it. But I was also going to try and balance the amount I grieved with the amount of time I spent just either writing things or saying things or talking things or thinking things that I was just incredibly grateful for with mum. And that balance, I think, of complete kind of acknowledgement and living with a huge sense of reality whilst at the same time understanding that life is going on and I am actually insanely lucky were were two things that that really really helped me in those initial phases and you know mum's illness really started to to deteriorate after Christmas um, and in New Year of 2018 my parents lived in the country and we'd be up there every weekend and every weekend we would get in the car and I'd basically just start crying as soon as we got in the car to drive back to London because it was so tangible to see the deterioration that that, that mum was going through and another thing that we then started doing, which was, you know, Sunday nights were always rough because I just wanted to be with mum. I didn't want to be really going back to London to do things. However much I loved work and however much purpose I felt in my life, I really just wanted to have and treasure every every minute I could with her. We started doing this little routine that, again, I think is something that I would definitely recommend to anyone going through some of this we're just having a routine each week where you just do something really really nice so we started going to our favorite japanese restaurant every sunday night and we literally did not miss a week up until mum passed away in may and it was just our moment just to step out to do something really really nice to reflect to also just have a bit of time the two of us but when you're going through these really horrendous moments where you feel kind of captive within the situation that you're in and you feel like there's no way out, taking yourself out of that and doing something that's objectively really, really nice was something that definitely helped me. Jess, what were the things that you learned to use as either coping me- mechanisms or, or tools that you used? You know, you're one of the most resilient people I know, as was mum. Mum was incredibly incredibly resilient i think she she passed that on to us but what were some of the other tools that you picked up in those first few days after i mean again just to put this into context you know literally an hour before mum was rushed to hospital from having these two major seizures i'd been on facetime with her and my daughter otty just having one of our daily chats about everything Otty related what she had done what she hadn't done and how miraculous every single one of those things were Otty's Jess's little daughter my daughter daughter, who at the time was only 10 weeks old and mum said to me it was one of the last conversations we had before she had these seizures that she had just never felt better she had never felt we were speaking about her birthday coming up her 70th birthday and she said god if this is what 69 looks like then I think it's pretty fabulous And, Mm. and she felt amazing and then bang out of nowhere she had these two major seizures and within two days we were told from the initial MRI it looked like a high-grade glioma which is one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancer you can have but when mum was first admitted to hospital we had a space of about five or six hours where we really didn't know if she was going to make it and initially they thought she had had a huge stroke the very fact that she recovered from that and regained consciousness and then was starting to make kind of coherent noises again within the first eight hours felt I mean your relative framework for what is suddenly positive shifts so 
dramatically in those moments and if someone had said to me 10 hours before you know would you have considered the fact that your mum can now say yes or no and blink her one eye as a positive I would have been absolutely baffled by how that could ever just but actually in in the framework we were suddenly facing which is that you know we were told she might not even make it through the night suddenly that was that was everything you know and I think in those first few days going from the absolutely kind of catatonic shock initially of thinking that we had had lost her in that moment to suddenly realizing that she was she was recovering and that we hadn't lost her even in those few hours you are taught the most incredible lesson in the power of just being present and how really projecting forward into any kind of future scenario of anything is is purely speculative and I remember feeling so profoundly after those those couple of days just that my god and it, it sounds like a cliche but it's true just the preciousness of each moment and those first 48 hours where we went from I mean, I can't describe to you what it, it felt like to get that call. I felt like I had mainline electricity coursing through my veins and I, and I did do for, for many days after that. But to then suddenly this glimmer of hope that she was going to make it, you know, just in, in that process, I suppose resilience starts to kick in. Yeah. The resilience comes, as you say, as well from presence. And when you start to break it something does. down into what feels like a manageable chunk if presence is just feeling and managing and looking as far out as just what you're doing today that to me also built huge resilience and I made did you feel it required quite a lot of self-discipline to kind of continuously anchor yourself in that yeah it did and I think that at times like this when the emotional part of your brain is so charged and overworking by being able to move something into the rational part of your brain to try and do that. It did take discipline, but it was something that provided a level of focus that that I think really helped. But I think with presence, being able to say, you know, it's like with any illnesses, you really you never know exactly how long they're going to be. The doctors will give you some statistics on on what's normal. But we would start doing lots of different treatments with mum that provided hope that maybe she would live beyond the year life expectancy typically that someone with her illness has. And when I got to the point of, look, I don't know if I have six months or two years or 10 years or two weeks left with mum, but what I do know is that I have today and I'm going to make today the absolute best I can with something that built an enormous amount of resilience. The next part, I talked a bit about gratitude before and the kind of stage two of gratitude for me was when mum passed away and she passed away in mine, my sister's and my dad's arms in her bed at home. And when something like that happens and it's it was the most profound experience that I've had in my life and you realise how finite life is and that mum was there with us and then she was no longer there with us and it shows you that life starts and then it stops on earth and where mum is now on earth is in the depth of mine and Jess's hearts and the people that she touched and that she helped and supported along her way but it also takes you into a place of ultimate gratitude 
and I think also sharpens a focus in life that we are here for a limited amount of time to absolutely make the most of it because you never know when anything's going to happen to you. Just like we didn't know when mum was going to get ill, you never know when a nasty accident's going to happen. So that sense of presence every day and valuing each day and just being grateful for each day was something that were the the two biggest lessons I took out of it. But they're lessons for life. Exactly, and they are lessons for life. And And what it also triggered in me was something where I didn't want to rush my grieving process to try and feel like I could come out the other side. I thought it was really important for me to live through it and live and breathe it and be completely frank and honest with myself about that. But what it also did was create a level of focus where I really, really knew I wanted to get out the other side of it too, because I knew that life wasn't going to go on forever and I could just, you know, just keep on grieving and that would all be fine. I wanted my life to be much better than just feeling grief and loss. And so that was something that, that helped enable me to, I think, internally build the tools to allow me to get to that other side as well. And I really do believe that it's been a a fundamental shift in my life in feeling every day a much greater sense of presence that what I know I have is today and that I'm going to be grateful for it. I never, and this is something that I hope, you know, people listening can take comfort in, is that something I never, ever could have anticipated is strangely the gifts that grief can give you too. And that it's not just a black space of of darkness and and heartbreak and yearning and missing it's it's more a kind of incredible sort of kaleidoscope of different supercharged colors and for me personally and I, and I I know from speaking to other people too that this feels like part of the collective kind of human experience of grief is that it it just supercharges everything so you when you feel happy you you feel intensely happy when you feel sad you feel absolutely beside yourself and when it's like living in this quite extraordinary hyper real technicolor for me and i think you you start to feel these these real human emotions on an even deeper level you do and, and it relates back to that lesson of being present it's like nothing is wasted on you you know just the simplicity of a beautiful moment in the sunshine drinking your coffee on your garden step in the morning (laughs) whether or you know having a really amazing evening with your partner or then the really difficult times too you know they they are supercharged too but it almost elevates all of that consciousness into the most kind of hyper real technicolor state of course you know within that you feel pain and heartbreak and a yearning that for me was completely beyond my emotional vocabulary you know and I, I I feel it wasn't until I, I went through this experience that I started to understand the language of it. And it is, in a way, an expansion of consciousness when you go through something like yeah. this. And you, you can't possibly really describe it unless you've been through it, because it's like with childbirth. You know, yeah. you can explain it, but nothing can yeah. it, teach it to you like like the living experience of it. And it's a huge multifaceted kind of living breathing ever-changing entity in my life and um but it creates an enormous sense of growth as a person i think as well and i think that's something that anyone grieving should really really hold on to is that you will come out if you are able to create these tools within yourself which anyone is capable of doing you will come out of another side and you will be a much more well-rounded more sophisticated more resilient 
bigger kind of human being in that. And I think that that is something that should give anyone. I think just the fact that you're being delivered from day to day beyond the immediate kind of catatonic aftermath of something like that feels a bit miraculous. Yeah. You're like, whoa, yeah. okay, so I haven't just yeah. fallen over and, yeah. you know, ceased to exist myself because one of the world my, is absolutely my worst still nightmares has come true. And yeah. that is the point at which I think you can start to objectively marvel at this thing, which is resilience, which yeah. is that you don't f- fall over. You do get up in the morning and, you know, the days do deliver you from one moment to the next. And it's time is a big part of resilience and it's the kind of merciful healer, really. And it's the thing that even when you think you are stuck in absolute, you know, imprisoned by your grief, you must always know that, whether you know it or not time is kind of mercifully miraculously delivering you from moment to moment where you will burst out of that blackness and it's like I, I always imagine it was like being on a train in a, in a in a dark tunnel and if you look out the window it just it's like it's black 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 the whole time mm. and you wouldn't necessarily know mm. you're moving but actually every single moment you're looking in that blackness mm. you're a second closer to bursting out into the sun mm. into the sunlight again and then suddenly bang and you're, you're there. there the sun yeah. comes back and maybe it doesn't last for for that long, but it does. Maybe you go back into another return. tunnel and you come out again. Exactly. But, but it, but and it what you realise is actually the with grief, but as with everything, it's it's everything is impermanent. Mm. So the moments where you feel the ground disappears beneath you and you just collapse into a you know state of your own heartbreak or sadness or missing just missing this person so much that feeling will pass too Mm. and you will be delivered from that that feeling into another feeling and you will resurface and it's just remembering that this state of grief isn't an end destination it's it's not a fixed end point i think the point is that human emotion is incredibly fleeting like the best moments of your life only last a certain amount of time as well it's yeah. like the impermanence of everything. Exactly. You know, everyone's grieving is and process is is so different. But I, I'm still surprised by the the rawness of my grief, and I yeah. think I think I have I've been disorientated by the enormity and the scale of it, and how difficult it's been to orientate myself in my new life without yeah. mum. And I all this talk of resilience like my god you know i've i've had to work on a daily basis really to to keep my head above water really yeah. and i think it's interesting hearing what your kind of timeline was of mum's mm-hmm. illness and that i think that september scan which is it was three months after mum was diagnosed it was basically she had another scan and it was clear that there was progression i think your process of acceptance started then mm-hmm. and i think i was so terrified to accept the inevitability of what was happening that I went into dealing with it in a completely different way, which which was like the whole kind of treatment focus stuff. Yeah. And so I, I think coming out the other side of it, you were much further into the yeah. kind of yeah. the evolution of your grief when mum yeah. did pass away than than I was, I think. I think the way you put it is is so right. Grief is this person that you do keep after having a relationship with forever and sometimes they feel like they're within you and sometimes it feels like it's a million miles away. And you know, Ella and I, we were down in Italy over Easter and it was Good Friday and we went into this beautiful church and I went in there to light a candle for mum and to say a prayer and I... Um, I was just in absolute pieces. It felt like 
every single bit of the rawest grief. You know, I would speak to mum a couple of times a day and one of the first times I'd call her each day was after I would, i typically get to the office pretty early and then I would go out and grab a coffee um, and I'd always call her on the way from office to go grab a coffee and, and not being able to call mum then it was just like the most empty feeling because I was suddenly mm. back in my normal but not able to do my normal thing with her and that was a moment of really feeling her, her absence but... I, and the trigger in, points yeah, are so and, often the most un, seemingly yeah. unremarkable things. But it still feels as raw as mm. the rawest times that objectively you look at and would feel like the most raw, like the moment when mum passed away or something. And I was in this church on over Easter and I just couldn't do it. I was just in absolute, I was in bits. But then the following day... I was okay and it just it does just go to show how but it's totally non-linear and that's exactly. and that's the thing and in those moments when you suddenly feel you're being thrown down back into the kind of pits of the ocean with it again you know you just have to kind of hold on tight and just know that you know you will be delivered from that moment yeah. and you will resurface yeah. and I think that is something that I've learned and I wish it's something that someone had actually told yeah. me because when you when you're going through it you can't ever imagine not feeling as awful mm. as you do. Yeah. And I think knowing from someone that's been through it that actually, you know, the the moments pass mm. would have been of yeah. great comfort yeah. for me. So as part of this episode, we really wanted to put, as I think you all know, community sits at the absolute heart of, of Delicious Yella. And just like in this episode and every episode we, we, we do, it, we really want it to be guided by the people who participate in this amazing community that we have at Delicious Yella. So we had quite a few questions through. Yeah, so I'm just going to pick out some of the questions that came up kind of time and time again. And one of the questions which I think a lot of readers and listeners have struggled to grapple with is this sense of guilt um, that can sometimes exist around loss and how you find a way to allow yourself to be happy and to take those moments of enjoyment without feeling a guilt that you're able to do that. It's a really important question, this. And I honestly think that... Anyone who's been through a really life-changing, profound loss will know that you have to really work for your happiness. <laughs> you know, you really have to work for it. And the moments that it returns to you, you just bask in it. Yeah. You really do. Anyone that really understands loss, understands the depths of where it takes you, will say the moment the sun shines, you just get out there and you bask in every single moment of it because it doesn't always last forever. That also comes for, you know, some people... I know the kind of issue of guilt is... And again, this is through the conversations I've had, particularly in relation to people losing a partner. You know, someone losing a partner and then finding a new relationship after that and all of the kind of incredibly ambivalent feelings you can have, including, of course, guilt around that. And again, I would just say, you know, anybody that could possibly judge your, your process of moving forward and your ability to find happiness post the biggest loss of your life quite frankly doesn't understand mm. the first thing about it and I and I very much doubt anyone making those judgments has been through it because if you have been through it my god you know that you would just absolutely deserve every single moment that that sunshine shines for you and if, if you find somebody that you feel you can build a happy future with beyond that loss then that good is on you. <laughs> and it's possibly the only good thing that could come from yeah yeah. the most terrible thing that's happened in your life so 
I think it's different if you lose a parent or someone in a bloodline, actually. I think the issue of guilt probably plays out in a different way. It's important to talk about grief with enough kind of broad language to create a sense of inclusiveness and collective experience that can frame something that feels universal Mm. and that people can universally identify with at the same time as always remembering the kind of singular uniqueness of people's grief and of every situation and of every situation so and the the fact um, that everyone does just have these completely different starting points you know if you're you know if you haven't had a great relationship with a family member and they die and you feel guilt because you didn't get to say the things you wanted to say you know that i'm sure is an absolutely what feels like a completely that's actually one of the one of the most difficult things for people to to navigate is if somebody dies who they have very unresolved stuff with i think that is when it's Mm. it's really 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 difficult Mm. not ever having a sense of resolve Mm. we can only use the experience that has been personal to us but even in a situation like that however desperate it must feel i would still believe that being able to go back to a place of presence and yeah. gratitude on a daily basis yeah. is probably the best way of doing it. Of dealing with that, or, yeah. Even through the 10 bad options that you have mm. in, in, a, in a really bad situation like that. One of the other questions that came up a lot for people was, and I know we've kind of slightly touched on it, is that feeling that you're very alone in this. I think often, as you said, Jess, because the this area is a bit taboo. And I know like with math you know friends and people close to us would call me or ask me how you were doing but they were kind of almost nervous to ask you for fear of saying something wrong Mm -hmm. or triggering something and as a result I think sometimes you can feel on your own and like people aren't engaged but actually there's a kind of sense of fear around that engagement which Mm -hmm. I found really eye-opening and I know I I learned a lot from and and one of the questions that people had is how do you help someone who's grieving you know people whose close friends family colleagues are going through a difficult time in terms of what people did to support you, was that anything that you feel really yeah. made a difference? I think my advice to someone who is maybe not the person who's experiencing the loss, but someone who is a, a, a friend or you know a family member of someone who is going through a, a huge bereavement, is the best thing that you can do is to try and meet the person where they are and you can do this I think in quite an instant way you know if, if you see them and you can it's absolutely clear on that day that they're, they're not doing great then you open it up and you and I think just asking the question how are you today is really helpful because you don't need to know how you are you, how you feel changes moment to moment but it's like how are you today and just allow them that person to offer as much or as little as is completely authentically there for them and it Mm -hmm. may be they say you know what I'm actually feeling strangely okay today and I just woke up and I just felt a bit lighter or or they may say you know what I just feel absolutely devastated and and then allow them to lead the conversation but I think the worst thing to do is just pretend it's not happening Mm -hmm. because that is the thing that drives the person who is 
who is in the state of grief into this kind of archipelago where they feel completely out of reach from and for the person going through the bereavement you end up feeling like this strange observer on life that's going on around you that you are just completely wholly uninvolved in and it's a very weird disorientating feeling so so my answer to that question would just be to to ask them how they are today and then let them lead it and if they're feeling okay and they don't want to talk about it you'll know respect that yeah and if they do then you can just be there with open arms glass of wine big Mm. hug whatever's (laughs) needed i know when i wanted to get a better understanding of how to help math there were a few books that people recommended and cheryl sandberg's book option b that she Mm. wrote after her husband very suddenly passed away i found incredibly helpful and there's an amazing bit the reason that she she did it was that she felt so isolated and so alone and she ended up drafting a Facebook post because she felt that people kept walking past her and ign- ignoring her but actually they wouldn't they would, didn't know what to say so they said nothing at all and she shared everything she felt the emotions that she was going through on this Facebook post and posted it and she said from that moment forward it was almost like she'd given everyone around her permission to talk about it and to open up the conversation and she said it completely changed her grieving process because it suddenly felt open and collective and shared mm. and people weren't any Which longer grief is. scared it's something that everyone yeah. has everyone unfortunately is going to lose someone who's really who they love or is really close to them and everyone is going to die yeah. one day that is we all share that because a few and people so- asked the question on the other side which was that they felt people around them weren't supporting them and yeah. mm-hmm. I potentially it is just yeah. maybe you have to take the first step in opening up the conversation even though that seems yeah. a little bit unfair but it, it has word. to be a much 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 more open conversation I think the only the other the only other thing I'd add to that which I think is something that I know I was incredibly touched by it after mum died as well which is the best support is typically not when in the moment that the big thing happens when anyone mm. can send a text message or call it's at the moments when suddenly everything's quiet and checking back in with family was an amazing lesson for me and it was the continuity past just when you know anyone can be present in the kind of in the high impact moment but it's actually once all that settles um, it's the people that are there for yeah, the long haul exactly who are the, who are the ones who are still there really really checking yeah. in with you and they're typically the people you end up being closest to yeah and then just one final question that came up a lot have you found that because i think this this seems very common for people is stopping yourself from living in fear as you've said you know this happened out of nowhere and you ne- couldn't see it coming as with your experience earlier in your life with your first girlfriend is that you know, the world can change mm. within an instant and always be different evermore from that moment onwards. And how have you stopped yourself from living with that kind of fear and anxiety? Because I think sometimes that can plague people that they've lost one person that they love that much. And how do you stop yourself from being terrified that that will happen to the next Again, person? it just comes back to this sense of presence and gratitude, I think. And if you are able just to take yourself to a, a place of being in the moment with which you are and making the best of that and whether it's you know great times with friends whether it's working and doing something that you love finding that place of real presence and a stillness within that and then always trying to take yourself and remind yourself and create routines within yourself to celebrate things that you're really really grateful for i think are two things that can get rid of that can help alleviate fear anyway so just to wrap up the episode um from this season we're going to start closing each episode with five 
sort of almost, um, excuse the cheesy pun here, but food for thoughts, um, <laughs> takeaways for Ooh, the listeners. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> takeaways for the listeners of kind of five sort of practical things that they could potentially implement into their lives, whether that's some semblance of affirmation or daily mm-hmm. practice or book or tool. Five things for me, I think one, presence, as I've said, two, gratitude. I think if you're going through a really rough time, rip yourself out of bed or rip yourself off the sofa and go do at least one really, really nice thing each week. Put it in the diary and make sure that you stick to it. Have something outside of the grief that you're feeling that you are passionate about and get you out of bed. I know work for me at the time was really, really, really important because it provided a level of purpose and continuity in my life that got me out of the moment. So whether it's a hobby, whether it's a task that you want to complete or whether it's work or whatever it is for you have something that enables purpose. you to yeah exactly find, it comes back to purpose, purpose and yeah. and just just have something that allows you to step outside of that of of that cell that you feel like you're in and then five it is and can feel a very solitary thing but find that person or those people who will be really really consistent with you and sometimes you're going to need to explicitly tell them look i'm going through a really crummy time here or this is going to happen and I'm asking you explicitly, can you help me? Typically people will say yes, and you you can kind of hold them to account on that too. And don't feel like you have to do this alone. And if you are that person helping that person, create huge consistency. And it is your responsibility to be there for that person consistently. And I think allocating that person, finding that person, creating that person, whatever it is, but having someone who is there to check in with you, it only needs to be once or twice a week even, or just someone who's going to pick up the phone when you call and you know that they're going to answer and they're going to talk through things with you, I think is is another really important thing to have. I think um, I remember speaking to Andy McCann. Yeah. This is an amazing sports psychologist from a whole other, whole other world, but I remember having an interesting conversation with him a few years ago, actually, just about how he gives people tools for kind of resilience and coping with high stress or grief or loss. And he said something about, which I've thought about a lot actually, is about trying to visually compartmentalise how you feel. And it may be weeks, months, years that you feel like this, but the loss of this person, it colours everything. It's literally like the sky, it covers every single, it's the filter that you experience every single part of your waking day through. But actually you are more than just the loss of that person. You know, you are you in multiple different multi-dimensional aspects and you are the mother or you are the friend or you're the husband or you're the you know you're you're so many different things and just to try and give yourself conscious time to find gratitude and appreciation for every single one of the things that you are that define you that isn't just this profound loss in your life to help kind of retain a sense of yourself at a time when you feel your whole being is being defined by this by this other thing and it's and it's something that I've tried to do even just in the last couple of weeks I think I've started to make progress with that where it's moved from being the thing that has defined and coloured everything Mm -hmm. to suddenly feeling like new colours are opening up and you know going back to our original comments about resilience I suppose that's that is that's part of that that's part of that too I think just from 
my perspective just trying to you know as I know there's a lot of people trying to be there for people that they love I think if you've never been through a greater loss as the person who's going through it which I certainly hadn't I think the more that you can immerse yourself in it the more that you can read the more that you can talk to people about their experience to try and understand in some capacity what the person you love might be going through I found that incredibly helpful as I said the two books that I found incredibly insightful were Option B which is Sheryl Sandberg's book and a beautiful book called When Breath Becomes Air which is written by um, a neurosurgeon who passes away and then you know I realized that there was actually nothing that I could say and that there was actually nothing in particular that I could do but what I could do was just show that I would always be there and that that would be completely and utterly unfaltering and unchanging throughout every single day of this and that this was the number one priority and I made it the number one priority everything else in my life went on the back burner and so so grateful for doing that because I think it did bring us closer rather than pushing us apart. I definitely agree. So thank, thank you. you all so much for listening. And Jess, thank you for being the most special, brilliant <laughs> oh, guest for the first for episode. Me. We are going to be back every Tuesday um, for the next 12 weeks with season three of the Delicious Yellow podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do share it with anyone you think might also enjoy it. Rating it and reviewing it makes all the difference to us. So we would so appreciate that. And next week we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about something quite different we're going to be talking about body neutrality intuitive eating finding a sense of peace with your relationship with food and a lot more on building self-esteem so hopefully we will see you next tuesday thanks guys bye